Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. So I'm going to continue with what we started last week. This was probably the third recorded Passover that Jesus attended. I believe that he attended at least five that are recorded for us in Scripture. One, when he was 12 years old. Um, Four of the, the latter four took place in three and a half years of his ministry. But like any good Jew, he probably attended one every year. Throughout his 33 and a half years of his life, all Jews would migrate to Jerusalem to remember the feast and celebrate the Passover. I'm certain that he celebrated Pentecost. Certain also he would have celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month. Amen. In John 6, let's read it again. In John 6, and the Lord hijacked our sermon last week. Right? Literally hijacked the sermon. But I think, and I went home. And updated my notes because I felt it was an invasion of the Lord's thoughts into our, into our context. Something I never saw, only saw it as I read the scripture. I'm going to read this again. Follow with me in your notes, okay? Follow with me in your notes. The reason why I'm going to continue with this is because Jesus would give thanks. He had two. He would lift up the bread. And the Bible says he blessed it, implying a, an honoring or thanking of God. For the bread. Okay. Now after these things Jesus went over the sea of Galilee. Which is the sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him. Because they saw his signs. Which he performed on those who were diseased. Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat with his disciples. Please note. I may not get to this today. I don't think I would. But just take note. Everyone say the word signs. Right? They said they saw the signs. There was this mass following after Christ. Okay? So Jesus goes up into a mountain and he sits with his disciples. Now, verse 4, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip. Philip and Andrew are notable characters that play a very vital role in this narrative. And I want to talk on them, if not today, then perhaps next week. We'll see how the Lord leads us. Notice the question is directed at Philip. Philip, where shall we buy bread that these might eat? But he said this to test him. The need was Philip's test. Jesus could have provided the solution to the need. The need was bread. The need was hunger. The multitudes needed to be satisfied. Instead of Jesus just using his sovereign power to answer a need, he uses the occasion to upgrade one of his disciples. So like any good teacher would use a potential problem, not just to solve the problem, but to lead a student into the mechanism or the, 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 the pathway to finding the solution. Jesus wants to bring Philip on board and says, Philip, what do you think? There's a need. What is your view? Right? And Philip answers 
verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone might have a little. And I shared this with you last week. Philip's natural proclivity, his natural reflexive answer would be to tend to lean upon human means to solve the problem. He was looking to natural finance. And he says to Jesus, well, there are at least, I would think, in excess of 10,000 people. The Bible says there were 5,000 men, not counting women and children, right? Only men are referenced in the 5,000. And Luke says not counting women and children. So the multitude, the need is great. Philip tends to lean upon his own understanding to solve the the problem, whereas Jesus was trying to cajole his sight, to upgrade his sight, to look to grace. This is where I'm getting at. To look to grace to solve the problem and not works. 200 denarii. One denarii was a day's wages. 200 days wages would be insufficient to meet the multitude of the need. I shared with you last week, what does Philip's name mean? A lover of horses. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the the name of the Lord our God. We will remember, it says, the name of the Lord. The most comprehensive name of God is what? Father. Right? Everyone say Father. So, Philip's tendency is, by virtue of his name, I will trust in the strength of horse, of horses, which in this context is reliance upon human strength and ability to get the need met. Whereas Jesus was saying, and even by his own confession, he said, even if we had 200 denarii, everyone would only have a little to eat. But you know the story, when Jesus multiplied the bread, and the fish, the Bible says, they ate to their full, and they even had 12 baskets left over. There's man's way, and there's, and there's God's way. Okay, there's man's way, and there's God's way. And I challenged you last week. Now when you face a multiplicity of needs, now when the need goes beyond human capacity to, to solve it, or to meet the need, now when in your life you are faced with severity of need, Do not let your first recourse be 200 denarii. Do not let your first leaning be my means. Do not let your first priority be what can I do to resolve this. I want want to encourage you, always call on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Rely upon the Lord. Do you recall when we did the incident of the embitteredness of David's men at the Ziglag? When the Amalekites burned Ziglag, took all the women and children captive. Remember that story? Right? Wouldn't it be the natural thing to do for an army general like David was, a man of war, to naturally go after the Amalekites and recover all? But what does this skilled person of war do? The Bible says he called on the first. Number one, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Because his men spoke of stoning him. And the Bible says, and he called, he asked Abietta, the priest, bring me an ephod. And he inquired of the Lord. And he asked the Lord, shall I go up and attack these Amalekites? And the Lord said to him, go, go, pursue, overtake, and 
recover all, right? All that was taken. So David consistently models. I will not rely even on my past historical successes as a military general to get this one. I need God. I need to express dependence upon the, the, uh, upon the Lord. And I want us to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Never ever become so routinely clinical in your responses based on past success that you, you be start to rely upon your own strength. Right? Because reliance upon your own strength might meet the need. Because Philip said, if we had 200 denarii, everyone will only have a little. <laughs> but God doesn't want you to have only a little. God wants you to be satisfied to the full. Amen? I feel prophetically as I speak, there's a measure of an abundance of provision that God wants to unveil to us. But it's not going to come through human means. It's going to be pure, a, a pure expression of the might of God. The feeding of the 5,000 was a sign, a wonder, and the Bible calls it a miracle. It goes beyond human ability to satisfy the need. But there's a greater lesson in this, which I hope I'll get to today. But let's read on the story. Now, verse 9, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small, not the emphasis, small fish. Obviously, he's a lad. Okay? We don't expect him to be carrying big fish for lunch. So, a lad, five barley loaves and two fish. Right? But what are they among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 500. If you want to take this reference down, in Luke's account of the same incident, in Luke 9, from verses 12 to 17, Luke records the incident, and Luke says this, and Jesus gave the instruction, make all the men sit down in groups of 50. In groups of 50. Okay? Now, the men sit down. The men in this context symbolically are leaders of households with families. This is a prophetic picture of the church. Okay? 5,000. Five is the number of grace. Not so? Five is the number of grace. 5,000 is amplified grace. 5,000 men, leaders of households, 5,000 leaders representing a people of grace. Make them sit down in companies of 50. So how many companies would there be? Do the math. 100, not so? 50 times 100 groups will give you 5,000 groups. Men governing families. Okay? Everything about this narrative, 5,000 men. People of grace, okay? Uh, companies of 50, amplified clusters of grace, as it were. Tribal allotments, clusters, groupings, five fish, five loaves of bread, sorry, two fish, to the number of witness, five barley loaves. So, and bread depicts what in this context? You know, come on, talk to me. Bread depicts the word of God. What is in the word? 
grace. Right? What is in the world is grace. So, listen carefully. The means to communicate grace was present in five loaves. Right? There was a people of grace. The structure or the arrangement was by grace. Fifty. Groups of? Fifty. The transmitter or the person of grace, Jesus, the Logos, the Word made flesh, He was present also. Okay? And when I, when I thought about this, the Lord spoke to me and said that now, Randolph, your context and your operation has got to be characterized by grace much more than ever before. Right? You have to now become a people of grace. The Word will always be present as the primary means by which grace is communicated. There will be one whom God has sent, in this context myself, who speaks the Word of grace to you. Amen? What we are going to accomplish by grace will not be faked by works. What the results that grace can accomplish will never be matched by an attempt to accomplish those same results using human endeavor. But do you hear what I'm saying, right? And we're going to explore the theme of grace more fully next year. I really got my focus for next year in a way that we've never understood the power of the grace of God before, right? Everything about this context was environments of grace, structure and order. You see, Jesus could have just said, no problem, Lord, my Father in heaven, multiply this, and hey presto, uh, there could be an abundance of rolls, barley loaves, thousands of fish. But Jesus wanted structure and order first before the flow of the miraculous. Let the men sit down. Let them sit down in groups of 50. Right? There was no haphazard dealings of the Lord yet. And I want to encourage you, if you can bring structure to your life, some of us are too haphazard. The greatest expression of management is self-management. The greatest expression of discipline is self-discipline. If you can't manage yourself, you will rule no city for God. Right? So I want to encourage you, start to bring structure. God ministered this word very strongly tomorrow. Everyone say structure and order. Say proper arrangement. Right? For example, bring structure to your finances. Right? Just don't um, be casual about how you use money. Bring order. Bring structure to your giving. Right? Dr. Siggy is big on this. He often speaks about bring structure to your finances, even in your world of, 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 of giving. Right? Manage yourself. Manage your diet. Watch what you eat. Some people just go wild, especially in December. Be very careful. That's all about being disciplined. Be a man of discipline. Be a man of order. I really believe the miraculous flows when God sees regimen. Not legalism. Regimen is not legalism. Right? It's simply a disciplined lifestyle. Amen? And you will see the miraculous break forth in our lives. Amen? So I want to encourage you. And so the men sit down in groups of 50 and something marvelous starts to starts to happen, okay? Now, okay, you're going to have to read the whole chapter. It's long, and I don't want to waste time reading. It's 71 verses. Right? John chapter 6 is 71 verses. Jesus would draw comparisons because they challenged his authority. And uh, they said, are you greater than 
Moses, who, who he gave us manna in the desert. And Jesus would say things like, yes, Moses indeed gave you manna. It wasn't Moses, it was my father through Moses who gave you the manna. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. But if you eat of the bread that I will give you, you will never die. In fact, even the water I will give you, you will never thirst again. And he would make statements like, I am the true bread that has come down from, come down from heaven. If any of you eat of my flesh later, he would say, and drink of my blood, you have no part of me and you have no life within yourself. Many of them thought he was talking literally, but he was talking symbolically, symbolically and he was saying, unless you internalize everything that I stand for and possess, right? That's why the scriptures cannot be interpreted literally most of the time. If you take Jesus' statement at face value, he was not teaching cannibalism. There was something greater behind what he was, behind what he was saying, okay? Now, there are a couple of things. You must read the entire narrative. I'm just going to start to draw the principles out um, from this. Last week, I spoke to you about a time of testing. It was Philip's, it was Philip's test, okay? It was Philip's test. In Luke, if you want to just turn there for a, a brief period, Luke chapter 9, five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he did what? He blessed them. So the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set it before the people. Right? The flow of grace, which is in the bread, starts with Jesus. He gives it to who? The, the disciples represent 12 apostles, apostolic figures. Watch. Please, you've got to hear this, brethren. Those apostles give it to who? The men in charge of companies of 50s. This is the flow of grace. Grace always starts in Christ goes to an apostolic source, right? Last week, I, I laid this out for you. I told you in Acts 20, the apostolic source was Paul as an apostle. And who did he teach for three and a half years? The, the elders of Ephesus. Not elders of a local church. These are elders of a city, elders of Ephesus. In the city, there were local households of faith with spiritual fathers leading congregations but these were these were senior elders if you would over over households so the flow of grace started in paul he spoke to the elders and the elders would transmit those graces to heads of households scattered throughout the entire city of ephesus here too we see a, a kind of a picture of jesus speaking to an apostolic grace in the 12, the apostolic grace goes to heads of houses and they disseminate the grace to the heads of households, the men, 5,000, who would in turn impart it to their, their families. Amen. I'm saying this to encourage you. This is an apostolic house and we don't underestimate the flow of grace from apostolic sources. It is vital to what we do it is essential to our effectiveness and where God is taking us, okay? It's vitally essential um, that we understand this. So Jesus, the Bible says, bless the bread. 
Everyone say he blessed the bread. Right? Now, I like this. I just want to speak briefly. I know it's Thanksgiving, so I don't want to be too long because we must still go and eat. And everyone said? Amen. <laughs> the Bible says he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he kept distributing it. It's like the flow did not stop. He kept giving it out. The flow of the multiplication starts in the hands of Christ. But God always needs conduits in and through which that multiplication can be channeled. Amen. So he blesses the bread. Now, this word bless is interesting. Um, When we bless something, there's an imputation of divine substance into that which is blessed. Isaac blessed Jacob when Jacob knelt before him and he received the birthright. Remember? Remember he tricked his brother for the birthright. When the time for the blessing impartation came, he laid his hands upon Jacob, Isaac did. And so whenever you see this act, even of laying on of hands and one blessing another, there's always this idea of an infusion of, of spiritual resource from one to the other. The Bible says this about Joshua. Joshua was the successor of Moses, not so? Right? And Joshua would lead the Israelites into a realm where Moses could not. Moses' leadership and his anointing, his grace, was to bring them out. Joshua's grace was to bring them in. Moses' grace, deliver you from Egyptian captivity. Joshua's grace, I will lead you to, in a warfaring fashion, now to dispossess nations and to possess territories, right? Two different configurations. But the Bible says this about Joshua. Now Joshua, the son of Nun. I always joke, who was Joshua's father? Nobody. He was the son of Nun. <laughs> okay. But not N-O-N-E-N-U-N. His father's name was Nun. Imagine. Okay. Joshua, the son of Nun, the Bible says, the spirit of wisdom rested upon Joshua. And he was wise in the execution of his leadership. The spirit of wisdom rested upon Joshua. Why? It says, because Moses laid his hands upon him. Right? So when Moses prayed for him and basically installed him as his successor, and he blessed Joshua, the Bible says, in the, in the sight of all of the congregation of, of Israel. Right? A spirit of wisdom. So something came into Joshua. We believe in the doctrine of the laying on of, of hands. It's the act of blessing another. Right? Think about the bread. Jesus takes this bread. Right? The Bible says, and he blesses it. He blesses the bread. The word bless implies the imputation of some divine substance or resource into the thing that you blessed. So the bread now does not become ordinary bread anymore. Right? It takes on divine characteristics. So the bread starts to multiply. Now please, Sam taught us something. He didn't teach us. In fact, Sean Blicknote taught it, but Sam mentioned it at the last ALS. He said this. Each one of us, when God made Adam, for example, God gave Adam a, a spirit. Not so? A spirit in a human vessel crafted from the sand of the sea. The moment the breath of God came into him, <sighs> the Bible says Adam got up and Adam became a living soul or living being. What gives life is spirit. 
That's why the body without the spirit is dead. When the person dies, spirit leaves. Presence of spirit is the life-giving element within human beings. But God gave each human being spirit, not so. The spirit that he gave humans, the first son, Adam, would multiply in many other sons. And and Sam said this, it is only true from the realm of spirits that if something is given, it never diminishes. In our natural world, you have a quantity of X amount of whatever. The moment you take from that quantity and you give, the realm from which you gave becomes depleted by the amount you gave. Not so? So the one becomes impoverished while the other part becomes enriched. Not so in the realm of spirit. In the realm of spirit, the nature of things is if it flows out from the realm of spirit, the realm from which gave it is never depleted because it gave. In fact, the intent is that it should exponentially multiply because it came not from the earth. It came from a realm that does not know the principle of diminishing. That is why the lad gave, listen, this is, this is, you must get this. The lad gave two fish and five loaves. But the lad gave as a lad, he gave up his lunch. But in the spirit, he gave it from the realm of spirit. That is why do not think like a man when you're working your maths out. When you're working your study, must I pay that amount of tithe? And my, 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 my assets are going to be diminished by that value? If you, let's say, five, if you say you, you tithe 5,000 rand a month, let's just say for argument, some of you do that here. Let's say you tithe 5,000 rand a month and you are faithful over 12 months, how much is that? 60,000. I'll never forget I had this argument as a teacher with one of my colleagues. Um, and so we're talking, so... And the subject came up, so I said, oh, no, I tied. You worked out the maths. He says, so you give this value every year, a total, every year. Are you crazy? I said, no. I said, but, you know, I was a bit sarcastic. I said, we started teaching together. We got the same degree. You don't tithe. I tithe. Look at us. (laughs) Who's better off? It does not make sense how that you can be left with 90% after you gave the 10%. And you still have more than the person that kept the 100%. When things are released from the realm of spirit, even as a man, because you release it with a spiritual mindset, it does not diminish. In fact, its nature is to exponentially multiply. The lad gave freely, not so. And he gave into the hands of one who is from the realm of spirit. So when that bread hit the hands of Jesus, a spirit dynamic entered that bread. Until the need was met, that bread would have not diminished. It multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. So now, brethren, whenever God calls you to give, don't think naturally. I'm I'm encouraging, I'm arming your mind. Say to yourself, I'm going to give not as a man. I'm not going to give as a normal human being. I'm not going to give from my humanity this seed, this first fruit, 
this tithe, this offering, I'm sowing it from the realm of spirit. I'm sowing it from the realm that does not know the principle of, of reduction, of diminishing. Amen? It's important from which realm and from what attitude you give. Do you know there are many people that are faithful tithers, have not experienced the blessing of the tithe? It's not what you give, it's how you give. The attitude with which you give for me is far more important than the act of giving. Right? So the Bible says, when you give, give not grudgingly, nor of necessity. Don't give out of coercion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver. And you know, this, when Sam said this, it really set me free. I believe the feeding of the 5,000 is a classic case in point. How that something natural, bread and fish, is given from a lad in a natural setting, but it's given from the vantage point of a spiritual mind. When it passes through the filter of spirit, it starts to exponentially increase. This is for the mature. Tell your neighbor, this is for the mature. Some of you see this going over your heads. Please catch this. If you walk out of these doors and you're faced next time with a decision, shall I give or shall I not give? You give from the realm of spirit and I promise you, God will not fail you. God is true to his word. He will not fail you. We are living testimony of this principle. The Lord has not failed one bit. Amen. And so Jesus blesses the bread. And there's this multiplication, there's this flow, and the need, the, the great need that, that Philip thought, let me, let me do it my way, let me work out 200 nari. How is this going to answer all of these problems? You see, he thought like a man, but here's a lad willing to let go of the little he had. And little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. Amen. Things exponentially multiply. You know, we don't meditate often enough on the scriptures. We hear a principle in church, we walk out the door, but we don't think of it too much. And you know, it's only the quality of your meditation that will produce results in your life. I taught you extensively on meditation. I want to encourage you, think tonight on this principle. Before you go to bed, take John 6 out again, read all 71 verses, say, God, what there are, there's keys locked up here. There are principles here designed for my success. If I can enter this economy like the lad did, like Jesus did, all my needs will be met. Promise you, all your needs will be met. You might, be, you might have to go through some testing sometimes, but God will never fail you. Amen? Tell your neighbor, we're never going to give as natural men again. Tell someone, we're not going to give from the natural realm again. Listen to me. Yes, you are. But you're going to use bank accounts. You're going to use physical money. You're going to operate as a man. But your mindset is, I'm giving from the realm of spirit. Because in the spirit realm, things exponentially multiply. Amen. Amen. And the resource that I give never gets depleted. In fact, after I've given, let me say this. If I give singularly, with the idea of corporate need being met. The lad did not keep the fish for himself. Singularly with the idea of corporate need being met, um, your, your single need meets the corporate need and there will be more left over, far more than the initial one that you gave. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to see the miraculous. I've been studying signs and wonders yesterday afternoon. The whole idea of, 
being attested by great. The Bible says Jesus was the man attested by great signs and wonders and miracles. I want to encourage the church. You see, this was a Passover. Everyone say Passover. At this Passover, one of the principles Jesus is trying to demonstrate to his followers. If you operate from the realm that I operate, Philip, Andrew, my disciples, I'm drawing you in. Right? You can enter an economy of supply that is not linked to this earth-based natural system. Amen? Because how many of you know, if you, if you rely on your 200 denarii, it will not su- supply all your needs. I, come on, let's be honest. How many of us, knowing what we know, and expected income for 2016, you expected income for 2016, and based upon the multitude of needs you know that are waiting for you in that year, way some will come knocking on doors and in post boxes, right? and in emails. How many of you know it's going to be virtually impossible to rely on natural things to get that Listen, this is, um, I've got lots of principles to teach. I just want to stress this point. I don't want to go beyond this. God is saying to this house, there is a realm called the miraculous. But it starts with the seed. It starts with living not unto yourself. A lad, a small boy, was willing to let go of his lunch and supply the need. But maybe the next week, after, I'll share with you what the Lord has, has ministered to me about entering the realm of the supernatural supernatural supply. It was one of the principles that Jesus demonstrated that this Passover. So everyone say he blessed the bread. Okay? So Jesus blesses, he blesses the bread. Okay? I must have said a word, maybe a word of thanksgiving, and he said, Father, bless. It will say it again, bless. Bless. Now, you know, one of the... the uh, principles of blessedness is that you are already blessed in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3, thanks be to God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are an already blessed people. Tell them we are already blessed, right? We are already blessed. But, Beatitudes, Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be merciful. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. There, there's sometimes when we, when we deliberately adopt certain postures in our lives, our already blessed state becomes activated practically, in a practical dimension. Amen? One of the ways in which that happens scripturally is by an apostolic decree, right? So when your spiritual father says to you, you are blessed, I bless you. Do not underestimate that pronouncement. When, when an apostolic father or a spiritual father or a person in charge of your soul says to you, I bless you. Now please, I need, you, I need your spirits alive here. I'm going to bless you just now. Your I bless you, Right? It's very important. I believe those kinds of salutations activate what is already a blessed condition within you in Christ Jesus. But by that pronouncement, something is activated in a practical way, in a practical dimension. Now, in Numbers, just quickly, in Numbers 6 verse 22, 
number 6 and verse 22, says the following, up to verse 27. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying what? Saying, speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you shall say to them. Now, Moses, um, the, the Aaronic high priesthood was the interface between the people and God. They stood, when they stood before God, they represent the people. When they stand to speak to the people, they represent God. It was like the Aaronic high priesthood was the interface between God and the people. So Moses instructs Aaron, he says, when you and your sons stand before the, for the people, this is what you must say to the people. Okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. Next. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So, listen, when you say that, what is God saying to them? If you say this, so you shall do what? You shall invoke my name upon the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. When? When you do that, I will bless them. Right? Now, the contemporary English version, I hope I have it in my notes here. Yeah. The contemporary English version says verse 27 like this. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself am doing it. Whenever they do it, I am doing it. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. In fact, I jumped through uh, several principles. I'm jumping towards the end of my note for this session. There are other principles which we'll talk about in weeks to come. But I was thinking of thanksgiving and my heart was overflowing with gratitude to the Lord for so many things of His gracious dealings with us. And God deliberately said to me, you need to have a time of blessing the people. Amen? So I'm going to bless you today. Right? And it's going to be by a verbal pronouncement. Amen? But something is going to be activated in your life. Amen? Do you believe this? Something is going to be. Don't. That is why Paul would start every letter by saying what? Grace. This grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe John would say the seven spirits of God. All those apostolic salutations in the New Testament are basically New Testament equivalents of this that Aaron and his sons were commanded to say to the, to the people. Okay. There's the imputation, the impartation of a, of a blessed condition. Now, I want to encourage you. You are blessed in the field, in the city, when you, when you, when you rise up, when you sit down, and you're going out in your coming in, your basket, your kneading store, um, the fruit of your womb, everything you touch is blessed in Christ Jesus. Uh, part of the activation happens by verbal invocation. God is saying, you invoke my name, my nature, my, my character, my intent upon your, upon your people. Amen. And I, I shared this, I think, on Facebook early. I was up like, I don't know what time, 2 or 3 o'clock, I think, this morning. Uh, I felt revived in my spirit. I slept 
before any of the family could sleep, I was fairly tired after the function we went to. And I came back. I thought, let me just sleep. So by 2, 3, up, two, two, three o'clock in the morning, I'm up. And I felt like an open heaven. Marched around my pool, studied a bit, um, just did some office work. And I really felt my heart. I kept saying thank you to the Lord for our blessed state. Do you know what God said to Abraham? Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Began to say, Matthew is blessed. Luke is blessed. They can't hear me, they're sleeping, but I'm talking. I want to encourage you, fill your atmosphere, fill your home with, with pronouncements of, of blessing. Amen? When you pray for your spouse, right, or husbands and wives, vice versa, stop complaining about the brew or the sister, and start blessing them. <laughs> you have what, God said this to me, you have whatever you say. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you shall have whatever you say. So start to speak the results you want to see. The worlds, Hebrew says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So frame your world. By your words. Uh, marinate the result that you want to see. Determine it by your speaking. This is not wishful thinking. Neither is it name it and claim it. This is different. This is an apostolic verbal invocation of a blessed state that we want to see in the people of God. And we're going to do it deliberately in a moment. So the Bible says Jesus took the bread and he did what? That was like someone laying their hands on another. It was an imputation of the life of God into bread, into substance. And the, the miracle, I believe, really happened from the hands of Jesus. There are many theories about when exactly did the bread start to multiply. Did it multiply as the disciples gave it out? Or from where, where, at which point in the exchange? I believe it happened. The Bible says, and Jesus kept distributing it out, right? And I, I want to encourage you, there's going to be a flow of, of miraculous multiplication that's going to be directly attributed, not to men. Please, even when I bless you, it's not me, it's God in me. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not man's doing, it's the Lord himself uh, doing this. So he blessed the bread, and the Bible says, and he began to distribute the bread. Then the Bible says, and he broke it, right? He blessed it first, and he broke it, and he didn't stop breaking. Blessed, broke, blessed, broke, blessed, broke. Now, I know that your needs will be met, but you know, bread is far more than, in this context, the meeting of natural needs. The greater reality is that bread symbolizes what? The Word of God. Now, you know, remember in Luke 27, when the two disciples walked on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says, and Jesus drew near to them, and they were sad because they thought the Messiah is dead and he's not going to rise again. Did not reveal himself to them, but the Bible says he opened the law and the prophets, two dimensions of the Old Testament, and he began to explain. He wants to explain. Explain of himself from the scriptures. And they came to a city, Emmaus, and he pretended as though he was going to go further, but they persuaded him to stay with them in the, the house. In the house, the Bible says he broke bread 
and he was recognized or known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's just read it quickly, just for your Luke 24.30. Luke 24.30. You see, because whenever bread is broken, the power and the person of Christ come to the fore. The power and the person of Christ come to the fore. I'm, I want to, we're going to bless you. Okay? We're going to bless you today. You, know, you must know what you're going to receive. This is not, this is not ordinary. Okay? You know, when, when, when I, uh, if I communicate with my father in the Lord and I said, uh, I'll be, um, I was invited to go here to preach at that conference. And he'd, either we're speaking telephonically or by WhatsApp or email. And he would say, you are blessed to go. Or I bless you. I understand fully what that means. You know what then? Then all fear goes. Any kind of uh, insecurity, trepidation, anxiety I have leaves the building. Literally. Because then I go not in my own authority. I go in the authority of a blessed man. Amen. Tell your neighbor you're a blessed woman or man. Amen. You're blessed. You're blessed. Amen. So it says here, just quickly, when he had reclined at the table with them and he took bread and what? Again here, what did he do? He blessed the bread, just like he blessed the bread at the feeding of the 5,000. And breaking it, he began to give it to them. And the next verse, quickly, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Or some versions say he was known to them. And he vanished from out of their sight. And then, verse 35 in the King James Version, if you have it. Uh, verse 35. It says, when they report of these things to the twelve, and they were told what things were done in the way, and how he was what? I love this phrase. How he was? He was known to them in what? In the, the breaking of the bread. Now, it's sad when you read John chapter 6. Multitude is fed, need is satisfied, 12 baskets left, over. Immediately, the Bible says, and the disciples jumped into a boat to cross the lake. Let's go to the other side. But Jesus did not go with them. Then the Bible says this. And while they were in the middle of the lake, Jesus comes walking on the, walking on the water. They were afraid. They thought they'd sing a ghost. He said, don't be afraid. It is I. Then the Bible says, and Jesus got into the boat. I wish I could find the scripture. I don't know, all over in my notes. Then the Bible says, and immediately they were on the other side. I <laughs> like that verse. They're in the middle of a lake. He jumps into the boat in the middle of the lake. And the second half of that verse is, and immediately they were on the other side. You see, you are rowing and rowing. But when, when, when grace and the principle of grace, the source of grace, enters your life, it accelerates things. In fact, this happened so quickly, people that remained, did not go with the disciples, knew that Jesus did not go with them. And the Bible says they started looking for him. When after searching for him, they found he's with the disciples, they asked him, but you did not go with them. How is it that you are here so quickly? Tell you never immediately. You see, there's an immediacy, a quickness and acceleration of processes when you understand 
the revelation of the person of Christ. What is said, listen carefully, Jesus then says to these guys, why are you following me? And he actually tells them this, you do not follow me for the sign. So I emphasize sign. He performed signs. There's different words. There's different Greek words for miracles, another word for signs, another word for wonder. Right? But the word for sign literally means it's terror something. It literally means that which was designed to show forth a greater truth. In the natural, a sign is not the destination. If you're riding from here to Joburg and you see, like these guys rode from Cape Town, and at one point they, they SMSed us and said, what, 900 or something? K is to Durban. <laughs> when they see the sign, is the sign Durban? The sign tells you your destiny. He broke the bread. The bread multiplied. The need is met. Jesus said, nothing more than a sign that. Don't make that the destination when that I just did to showcase something greater. Because he would say later in John 6, what did he say? He says, I am what? The true bread. I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. The point of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was to lead all the people into a greater revelation of what he, the bread of life, represented. The work of God must always lead you to the Word of God. The performance of God must always unveil the person of God. If you get stuck by what He does without knowing who He is, you've missed the point of your breakthrough. That is why many people have breakthrough, and the breakthrough is, listen carefully, here's the Lord speaking, the breakthrough is never sustained, because He came through for you, but you never, it was a sign. To show you a greater reality. Right? You stop short at the sign, never arriving at the destination. Right? When he broke bread to the two in, in Emmaus, the Bible says, he broke bread and what happened? And they recognized him or he was known. You know the word recognize or known there is epignosis. It means to know in the fullest and completest sense. Here's the principle. Every time bread is broken, Jesus is seen. Every time bread is blessed and broken, what did he do here? He blessed the bread and he broke it, a revelation of his, of his person. Every time we break the bread of the word, who should be seen? Come on, who should be seen? Christ should always be seen. That's the greater reality. But I believe too also, every time God does something, his works must always unveil his ways. What is that sad lament about Israel and Moses? It says, Israel knew his works, but Moses knew his ways. There's some people that are works-oriented, but we should be ways-oriented. right? When we seek to God to know God's ways, we will be privy to his, to his works. But I want to encourage you. Every time bread is blessed in this context, it's broken. The intent of the breaking of bread is to reveal the person of Christ. It was not the case in, the, in John 6 because the people did not see how there was a greater thing that he was trying to show you of himself through this miracle. Question. Has God done good things for you? Yes or no? Come on. Has God broken through for you? Yes or no? 
Have you stopped at the sign without seeing the message he's trying to convey? Because if you get the message, if you get what he's trying to show you through his power, you will get a revelation of his person that will sustain future breakthroughs. You see, listen carefully. He would then say to the crowd that followed him, that crossed the sea, caught up with him and his disciples, okay, now eat my flesh. Okay, now drink my blood. I am the true bread. If you don't, and the Bible says, he wasn't speaking literally, he was speaking allegorically. Right? And they thought, they even said, this is our heart, saying, who can eat your flesh and who can drink your blood? Then the Bible says, and many did left him and did not follow him. How can you just have a sumptuous feeding of the 5,000? And then he says, he gives you the destination of all of that. The ultimate intent was to imbibe the fullness of all that he represents, and you leave him. In other words, you never got to the intent. Let me just say this. Who's expecting God to do great things in the future? Are you? Right? I am. But I will always stop. At every, this is my resolve this morning. I now plan to always stop at every breakthrough God gives. And say, God, I thank you for coming through. Thank you, you are good. For some of you, God rescued you from serious situations. For some of you, God uh, came through for you at the 11th hour. Right? You must always stop and say, you've manifested your work. Right? I've seen your hand. But your hand must always lead me to your face. What aspect of your nature, what aspect of your character are you trying to teach me in this? If you learn the lesson, you will see Christ in the breaking of the bread. And you will get an, a, a view of some aspect of his character that will sustain you for your future needs. But if you fail to see it, you will stop purely at the natural manifestation. And even when he attempts to unveil to you, it was for this intent that you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You walk away from the source. Of, you know those, I feel sorry for that group. They walked away from Christ, we just fed them. How can you walk away from such, in other words, you fail to see the intent of the miraculous. It wasn't the destination, it was a, it was a sign pointing to a greater reality. So I want to encourage you that from now on, I prophesy to you, God's going to do extraordinary things. It's, it's literally going to blow our minds because the, the, the magnitude of the need will be impossible to solve with human ability. Grace and grace alone is what is going to get the job done. But every time you get to that point, you've got to stop and say, you know, when, Lazarus was ro- uh, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, for example, wonderful, miracle not so, death conquered, man comes out of a tomb. The Bible says they throw a banquet for Christ and he's not honored. Read the context. No esteem, no honor. Right? Throw a banquet and he's not honored. Every one of John's miracles. John is a different gospel to the synoptics. Synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke. The first three are called synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. John is different from those. John selects his miracles very carefully that he records. Luke is probably the most, uh, uh, he goes to town, being a doctor, I suppose, he wants to record every healing <laughs> that Jesus recorded. I think there's only seven or nine, I'm get my, uh, I'll correct this next week, seven or nine literal miracles that 
John records in the whole gospel. And he's highly selective. He unveils what Jesus tried to bring forth from that sign. And I've said this to you before, right? So in John 10, he gives a parable about the sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. John 14, they, they, were, they were worried about, show us the way to the Father. The famous I am statements of Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. At Lazarus' resurrection, what did he say? I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, though you are dead, yet shall he live. I am statements of Christ, all recorded in the book of John. The, the, the act was always designed to showcase the person. Some deeper dimension of the person. Now I want to encourage you, if you focus on the deeper dimension of the person, the acts of God will come your way. Because God knows your heart. is not just on bread and fish. God knows now. You want every breakthrough, you will seek to see the deeper hidden mystery of the person of Christ that's locked up in what he does. I always say the works of God must unveil the person of God. Israel, a sad statement when it says Israel knew his works only, but Moses knew his, knew his ways. And God is going to do extraordinary things. But we need a people that's mature. Amen. Are people that know how to, know how to administrate uh, the miraculous intent of God. In this Passover, I want to encourage you that God's going to do great miraculous signs and wonders. But they are not ends in and of themselves. It doesn't stop there. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater reality. Can I encourage all the households here, husbands and wives? Now, from this point onwards, every time you have a breakthrough in some respect, have a little conversation. Call the kids. Say, what do you think God was trying to teach us by this? Otherwise, we'll just stop at the bread and fish. Is there something far more profound that God is trying to unveil to us in what he has done? Okay? And invariably, I want to encourage you, the Lord will be faithful to manifest his intent um, to your own hearts. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread intending, because every time bread is broken, Christ should be known, as we've read, but he was not known in their context. They failed to see the hidden person of his nature, and they rather focus on the naturalness of the miracle. Amen? And the Bible says, and he distributed it. Now, everyone do this. Huh? Uh, I gave the Bible study, uh, that's why it's so fresh in my mind, to the people in Canada yesterday afternoon, of David and his men and the Amalekite band, and the, the raid on Ziglag. And you recall, when David pursued, he overtook and he recovered all? The extra spoil, they said, this is David's spoil. What did David do? He, he, what did he do? Come on, some of you remember? He shared generously, did not keep much for himself, in, to, to the elders of 13 cities, including Hebron, the last one, he, he, he gave generous gifts to, to every single one. In all the places that he and his men used to frequent. And I want to encourage us now to develop a generosity of heart. Right? He's, you know, he sold to Hebron and he would rule in Hebron. <laughs> he sold to the elders there and he ruled in Hebron for the next seven and a half years. So into the realm you desire in which to rule. Right? So to that dimension. And um, uh, a generous heart welled up within David 
Saul dies in the very next chapter. The greatest obstacle to his, to his destiny is removed. God removes Saul and he comes, into, he comes into kingship very, very, very quickly. But I want to encourage you. We're going to enter such a, a, a measure of the miraculous display of God. Now please tell you never Passover. In this Passover, I say this always states we leave Passover. It's about migration. You leave in accuracy and you go to a more preferred mindset or state of behavior in, in God. And I want to encourage no reliance upon, upon human strength to bring solutions to your need. Rely on the Lord and rely upon Him only. Give as a man, but give from the vantage point of the Spirit. Because the realm from which you give will never diminish. Things will exponentially start in this season. Now please, I'm prophesying as I speak. Things are now going to start to exponentially multiply as things leave your hand. Because now my people perish for a lack of knowledge. But now you know I don't give as a man anymore. I don't even count the sense that one, 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 one domain is diminishing. My bank account is being depleted while I give. No, you are saying I'm giving as a spirit man. Right? Things are going to start to exponentially multiply. I give singularly to multiply and to satisfy a corporate need. Okay? That's why now to, give, to have a withholding stingy spirit is to not have the corporate welfare at heart. The lad did not think, my lunch was stingy. No, he gave it. And what happened? Corporate need is met. Multitudes are fed and they're still left over. Are the corporate needs of this house great? Yes, they are. Just being here on a, on a Sunday morning, is 5,000 rand every Sunday, we are here. Corporate need is great here. But I want to prophesy, the size of this congregation, the level of giving right now, do not warrant us to be here, except that some of us are giving from the realm of spirits. And I don't know how it works, but God meets the need. Amen? I want to encourage, I want all of us now to start giving from the realm of spirit including the young persons. Next time, Keegan, you're going to give, if you're going to give a five rand, you're going to give something away. You don't say, oh, I'm five rand shorter. I'm five rand less. No, you say, I'm giving not as a man. I'm giving as a spirit being. And this is going to exponentially multiply, not just for myself, but to the context that I gave, there will not be lacking that context. Think of it, this is the multitude. The needs are greater. You give as a lad, you give privately, you give personally. But think next time you sow an offering, you give a tithe or a first. Or think like this, say, the, even say, this context will never lack. Because I gave singularly, and I trust God to multiply the need corporately. Amen? This context will, will not lack. Um, I had said to Ronald Joseph um, that we want to sow into their building. Because they move into a new building. And I made the promise to him. And we were not just able to do it, just our funds in the account. And you know, this morning I did it. Three o'clock in the morning I did it. And you know how the natural mind works? Can't afford to do it, not now, not now. And I said, no, 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 no. And the, the store was ruminating. Randolph, don't do it as a natural man. Do it from the vantage point of spirit. So three this morning on your behalf, we gave a gift to Gilgal East in Johannesburg, toward the procurement of their present building, a major refurbishment still need to be done. Do we need a building? <laughs> we're not sowing to give. We're just sowing to be obedient. Okay? 
But I'm trying to demonstrate to you, while, while, listen carefully, while this institution needs that rent as of Monday morning, tomorrow, and I could use that to offset this, what does this mind say? Now, don't think as a man. Don't give from the, the mind, the, the vantage point of you, you've been publishing one account to enrich another. You give as a spirit being because the realm from which you give will determine whether the thing diminishes or multiplies. So I declare there will be a multiplication. So what has this congregation, I've done it on your behalf. So I'm the lad in this context. Gilgal East is part of our global family. This congregation gave one singular amount of 3,000 rands. It's minuscule as far as I'm small. I wish we could do more, which we will do by faith. Yes, in the future? Yes. Be a blessing to our brothers. And so we give as a lad. But my mindset is our corporate house must be strengthened. Our global family must be secure. Not only will our needs be met, the families will be met. And we will still have much more left over. Amen? But I really want to encourage you. Never doubt again. God's going to come through very, very powerfully for us. I want you to stand now. Prepare your hearts. Lift up your hands to the Lord. I want to be obedient to do what the Lord has asked me to do. I want to bless you with the verbal pronouncement, a verbal invocation. I want every hand raised. I want nobody uninvolved in this process, even the kids. Just lift, even if you don't understand these things, just lift your hands to the Lord. Loving Father, we stand before you on this, our 10th anniversary. We thank you for the manner in which you've been so good and gracious to us. We bless you for your dealings with us. You have not dealt with us as our sins deserved, but in mercy and grace have you dealt with us. For this indeed, gracious Father, we are so deeply, deeply grateful. We honor you. We lift up holy hands without wrath or doubt, and we bless you. We want to offer thanks. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us this far. will see us through, even through the next phase of our journey in Christ. Thank you, O oh God, that we've already are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Father, what we have read in your word of the account of the feeding of the 5,000, I pray let it be more than a story. Let, it, let those principles now, I declare, I decree, let those principles of multiplication, of unending increase, be active in every single one of our lives. Your word is quick. Your word is powerful. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. The pronouncement and declaration of your word has gone forth. It has infused your people with grace. Now, Father, I ask by the authority of your name that you would activate a multiplication um, are not just to provide for every need, but every time you do that, unveil yourself. Reveal more of your nature. Show us more of your character. Let what you do lead us to who you are at every single turn. I ask even now, Father, for an accentuation of spirit realm. 
I ask that in our mindset we would be thoroughly aware that we exist in two worlds. We are not just natural men living in a natural plane. We are spirit beings. And even when we handle natural resource, we will administrate the natural with the mindset of the spiritual. Now I declare, Father, as your people give, their resource will not be diminished. It might be diminished in natural terms, but from the vantage point of spirit, you will ensure that a multiplication will be generated and will never stop until all is satisfied, until every aspect of your purposes attendant with your people will be met in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that your people are blessed people. On your behalf, I bless your people. I bless every family, every husband, every wife, every child, every little baby, every adolescent, every senior one among us. I bless you. You are blessed. I declare you blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord bless your downsitting. The Lord bless your uprising. The Lord bless your going out and your coming in. The Lord bless you in the city. The Lord bless you in the field. I pray the entirety of your life will be blessed. I invoke the name of the Lord upon you. I invoke the blessedness that you already have in Christ. I activated by my pronouncement over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare that the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious and merciful to you. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance, even now. And the Lord give you peace. A cessation to every anxious thought. I declare that. A settling of every worry. It's gone in the name of the Lord. It's expelled. I speak calm to the restlessness in your spirit. I declare that in Christ, you and all the families of the earth are blessed along with faithful Abraham. You are blessed just like he was blessed. And the blessings of Abraham in Christ will come upon you. You are blessed. Amen.